This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. Today on the Who's Who, we have Dr. Andrew Watson. Dr. Watson is the Senior Scientist for Vision Research based in Ames Research Center in Moffett Field, California. He works on models of human vision and their application to visual technology. He received a 2011 Presidential Rank Award from the President of the United States. Dr. Watson, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Dr. Watson, just to set the stage, what is the Spatial Standard Observer, or SSO? Well, for many years we've been working on uh, computational models of the early stages of human vision, and part of the purpose of that research is to develop tools, engineering tools that could be used in the design of uh, display technology, compression algorithms, and things of that kind. And so what the Spatial Standard Observer is, is a, a, a tool that we have taken a lot of our research and compressed it into a simple engineering uh, tool that can be used to predict the visibility of artifacts, for example, in a display or the legibility of information in a display. And uh, any case where you have imaging technology that's going to be used by a human observer. And where is this test data, or where, what role does human test data play in this model, and where is that data coming from? Well, human test data are, are very important, and uh, the data are of two kinds. One are uh, fundamental data on basic sensitivities of human vision, and a lot of that comes from our lab and other labs around the world where uh, vision scientists are collecting uh, data on how well people can see motion, color, spatial pattern, temporal change, things of that kind. And the other kind of data are applied data on uh, questions such as uh, if we compress this image, can the observer see the artifacts in the image? Or if we uh, distort the color in a certain way, will people be sensitive to that distortion? So we, uh, we take both those kinds of data and use them to design and calibrate tools like the Spatial Standard Observer. Can you take us through a, a real-world example of how, of how this works, for example, maybe with, with uh, finding artifacts? Certainly. Uh, that's one of our technologies that's been most widely applied. And in that case, uh, they're on the order of one billion flat panel displays manufactured in the world each year. And that's quite remarkable when you think that there are only uh, 6 billion people on Earth. So 1 billion displays, and almost every one of them has to be inspected for defects produced during manufacturing. And the key thing about the defects is we like to find the ones that are visible to human observers. We don't really care about the ones that are not visible. And so the Spatial Standard Observer is uniquely uh, suited to that task because it can tell us when the artifacts are visible. So that technology has been licensed to the display industry, and it's currently in use uh, inspecting, uh, for example, flat panel televisions. And there's other, can you go through the other applications as well? I, I assume that there's some with uh, air, aircraft damage. Uh, I've, I've seen applications with uh, laser eye surgery. Can you go through those? Sure. Uh, another uh, quite different example is where we're trying to understand not a piece of imaging technology, but actually the performance of, of human 
observers in a visual task. And the situation is uh, uh, in the case of uh, unmanned aerial vehicles where, uh, as you probably know, uh, there are many efforts to introduce them more widely into the national airspace, but there's great concern about uh, the effects they may have on other aviation. And one of the issues is the so-called see and avoid rule, where aircraft are generally, piloted aircraft, are generally required to see and avoid other aircraft. Now, if there's no pilot in the unmanned aerial vehicle, how does it see and avoid other aircraft? And under what conditions will it be seen and avoided? And so we used the spatial standard observer to actually compute uh, visibility measures for aircraft of various sizes at various distance under various uh, meteorological conditions. And that can be used to model the introduction of unmanned aerial vehicles into the national airspace and determine under what conditions that will be safe and under what conditions it will be unsafe. What kinds of partnership opportunities are possible with this type of technology? Well, the uh, technology is now being used in industry, the, uh, the display inspection technology that I described earlier. And uh, another example of a different industry that uh, we, we uh, believe may be able to make use of this technology is um, the um, uh, laser eye surgery that we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. In that situation, uh, we now have very advanced technology for sculpting the eye in order to reduce the optical defects of the eye, but we don't have particularly sophisticated ways of predicting the visual outcomes. And another application of the spatial standard observer is to be able to predict from me optical measurements of the eye before surgery and after surgery what the optical and visual performance of the observer will be. So that's another industry where we're hoping that the technology may see some transfer. Can you take us through a typical day for you? What is your day-to-day -day work? What are you working on now? Uh, my day uh, consists largely of sitting in front of a computer screen, um, uh, developing models and metrics of the kind I described, and testing out their uh, application in various domains. Uh, one interesting problem I'm working on currently is the application of a model like the Spatial to Standard Observer to the image quality of uh, what I would call remote viewing systems. So two examples of remote viewing systems are uh, surveillance video systems and uh, submarine periscopes. And in both of these cases, you are monitoring some activity that's at some distance, and you're doing it via an electronic imaging system, which has within it optical components and sensors, electronic sensors, and has uh, digital signal processing. It has image compression. It has transmission. And then it has uh, display at the other end, where it's being viewed by a human observer. And what we're trying to do is use models like the Spatial Standard Observer to characterize that end-to-end uh, -end process and uh, be able to develop numerical metrics for the quality of the entire system based on the performance, the predicted performance of the human observer in using the system. So for example, if the system is being used to identify 
uh, uh, boats of various kinds, then we will actually be able to simulate the identification of boats through that imaging system using our vision model and give it a, a uh, quality metric based on that performance measure. And another application, it might be can you see uh, a gun in the hand of someone uh, in an airport uh, security scenario and there we'll be able to actually predict the identifiability of handheld devices using that same model. So we're very excited about that work and that's, the, that's a project that I'm currently working on. However, uh, just to elaborate on that a little bit, uh, a project like this has many parts and each one of those parts can take a considerable amount of effort and development to accomplish. One part of the project that I just described involves developing a better model for the optical performance of the human eye. So the very first stage of the visual process is uh, blurring by the eye's optics. And the degree of blur depends on various things such as your age, and how large your pupil is. And we've developed a mathematical model that can uh, compute your optical performance based on those sort of parameters. And that optical component will then go into that larger model of visual identification performance. What would you say, or why is uh, the spatial standard observer a superior option to previous uh, previous ones, what have been the weaknesses of earlier display metrology that uh, the, the SSO improves upon? Well, there have been a number of other uh, significant efforts in this area in the last, let's say, uh, 10, 20 years. Um, and I want to acknowledge some really excellent work that's been done by other folks. One difficulty with those other efforts is they have often been quite complicated. The computational machinery involved, the number of parameters involved, the sophisticated knowledge of the software that was required in order to complete the calculations was quite daunting. And as a result, they were rarely used except in research. And one goal of the standard observer was to uh, minimize the number of complicated uh, components, the number of complicated calculations, and to, so far as possible, uh, hide the complexity from the user so that uh, it would be more widely applied in actual practical situations. And I think uh, the use of the standard observer in the display industry is an indication that we've at least partly succeeded in that effort so far. Yeah, what are your goals? What are your goals for the the rest of the year for 2013, as far as these uh, models are concerned? Well, the uh, the uh, task based performance model for uh, electronic imaging systems is really my major goal right now. We've uh, recently uh, submitted one paper on the optical performance model that I described a moment ago. We're in the process of completing a paper on the complete uh, human pattern identification model, uh, which will be completed quite soon. And then the third product will be an actual paper on the uh, 
technological application of this model to quantifying the performance of imaging systems. Um, again, trying to give you a sense of the uh, effort that goes into developing these models, uh, another feature of this identification model beyond the optics is processing in the human retina. So one feature of the retina is that the uh, density of neural cells declines as you go away from the point of fixation. And we're all familiar with the fact that the image gets blurry as you move, move away from the point where you're looking. But that's not an optical effect. That's an effect of the neural machinery in the retina. And so we're doing a very careful job of modeling that uh, quantitative change in resolution as you go across the retina. And that's part of what produces accurate performance for human observers. I'll give you one example. One set of data that we're modeling is letter identification. Now, letters are a wonderful uh, uh, pattern stimulus for human experiments because people are extremely well practiced at identifying letters of the Roman alphabet. So we don't have to worry about training the observers. But what the data that we're looking at are uh, how much contrast you need, that is how, uh, how much difference there is between the white background and the black letter, let's say, as a function of the size of the letter. So as you might imagine, in order to identify a letter when it's very tiny, near your uh, letter acuity limit, you need a lot of contrast. You need essentially 100% contrast, which means a, a black letter on a white background. But if the letter's larger, you can manage with less contrast. It can be a, a light gray letter on a white background. Now, the curious thing is that you might think that as letters get larger and larger, they would get easier and easier to see. That is, you would need less and less contrast. But that is not what happens. After they get larger than a size of about one degree, and uh, a degree of visual angle is, is a unit we use in vision science, which is about the size of your thumb, the width of your thumb at arm's length. After the letters get larger than about one degree, their performance no longer improves. Now, why is that? Well, it really has to do with the fact that as the letters get larger, they necessarily impinge upon areas of the retina that have fewer and fewer neurons. And consequently, the resolution goes down and the performance also does not improve. But that's an example of the kind of uh, neuroscience result that we have to introduce into our models in order to make them accurate predictors of human performance. My last question will just be a nice and easy one. What is your favorite part of the job? I really enjoy working with other people, and we have uh, an excellent group here at NASA Ames Research Center who constantly challenge me and improve my work, and uh, I, uh, I very much value their, uh, their collaboration. Well, Dr. Watson, we want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.